I was a uh, practicing clinician working in a home health agency model. I wasn't allowed to dose my patients as per best practice guidelines. So I said, there's gotta be a way to do this better. My, my grandmother, uh, my grandfather, I started seeing them going in and out of long-term care. It started personal seeing the sick side of 80, and now it's been exciting to be part of Fox. Light bulb moment, like that's a complete game changer. You can see what we can do as a practice and as treating clinicians to really make 80, 85 look so much different than it did back that long ago. And boil it down into one say, it's quite simply this, it's be stronger, live better longer. Welcome to Fox Rehabilitation's Live Better Longer podcast, the podcast dedicated to clinicians who work with older adults. My name is Jim Shear, and if you are keeping score at home, this is season three, episode two of Fox Rehabilitation's Live Better Longer podcast. Yeah, season three just kicked off and woo, talk about a season. Today, to celebrate and acknowledge National Assisted Living Week, I think we got a perfect guest. I will be speaking with James Balda, President and Chief Executive Officer of Argentum. Now, if you work in the senior living space, You know all about Argentum. They're a major player, but maybe you've just stumbled upon this podcast and you enjoy it. Maybe you have a relative that works with Fox. So if you are not familiar with Argentum, let me fill you in. They are a leading trade association serving companies and practices that own, operate, and support professionally managed senior living communities. I can't go into everything Argentum does because that would be a a five-hour podcast. But I know James is constantly working. I know he lobbies a lot to help change policy, which provides a better way of life for older adults. So we will get into all of that today. But look at us. Season three of the Live Better Longer podcast And we're already chatting with the CEO of Argentum. And then next week, my goodness, what a season. I will be joined by Dr. Carol B. Lewis, the legend. Yes, the legend, Dr. Carol B. Lewis. She will be here to talk about her upcoming live webinar, Get Out of That Bed and Chair, Functional Tools and Treatments for Bed Mobility to Sitting to Standing. That webinar is happening Saturday, September 24th, 12 to 3 p.m. East. If you would like to apply, go to the website, greatseminarsandbooks.com. All right, I I should probably get a drink of water and calm down before James comes in. So let's take a little time out. And when we come back, I will be joined by Argentum's president and CEO, James Balda. All right, all right. I I know I said I had to grab some water, but we also have a t-shirt to give away. So like I said last week, every episode this season on the Live Better Longer podcast, we are giving away a Live Better Longer t-shirt. So last week, I sent you to Instagram. This week, I'm going to send you to Facebook. So if you haven't liked Fox Rehabilitation on Facebook... 
please do that now. So if you head on over to Facebook, make sure to go to Fox Rehabilitation's page. And while you're over there, there will be a post that will reference what I'm about to say. So we're giving out a t-shirt. Here's what I want you to do. So in the post on our Facebook page that is promoting this episode of the podcast, season three, episode two, here's what I'm asking from you this week. I want you to post your best picture from a senior living community. After all, it is National Assisted Living Week. So whether it's with a family member, your grandfather, your grandmother, if you have an awesome picture in a senior living community, please share that with us on Fox Rehabilitation's Facebook page. We'll look at all the pictures and whichever one we deem best, I I don't know which one will speak to us, but one will, maybe they all will, but one will speak to us more than others. The person who sent that picture We will then send you a Live Better Longer t-shirt. All right, there you go. And before we end the break, one, one more little nugget of news for you. Don't forget, this weekend, September 16th through the 17th, is LSVT's big virtual live training and certification course. So if you want to get LSVT certified this weekend, go to lsvtglobal.com to register. We are back on Fox Rehabilitation's Live Better Longer podcast, and I am now joined by President and Chief Executive Officer of Argentum, James Balda. James, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. It's a good week to have you, National Assisted Living Week. That's fantastic. Yeah. Um, We love that week every year. It's our favorite week um, to celebrating what our industry does so well. And my first question is about partners. So what's your opinion on forging strong partners within the industry? Well, I think strong partnerships are critically important. Uh, first off, thank you to Fox for your your partnership with Argentum. We've appreciated your your support. Likewise, um, likewise. Yeah, we love the relationship. <laughs> um, I think, though, uh, and I know we'll talk about COVID a little bit more later, but I think if COVID taught us anything, it's how critically important those partnerships are, whether it's partnerships with your owners, investors, capital, or it's partnerships with suppliers or partnerships with care providers like you all, I think we really saw those relationships strengthen uh, throughout the COVID crisis. And and those are the kinds of friends you need when, when things get tough. So you have relationships with a lot of entities. How important is it to sort of standardize things? Oh, I th- I, you know, I think it's important. Um, there's always, of course, secret sauce uh, that's uh, delivered in our communities, right? And so you, you want to be careful of that. But I think, you know, as the industry has matured over time, best practices have evolved. And that was one of the things we saw throughout the COVID crisis was was people sharing some of those best practices um, as, as we were learning uh, sort of on the fly related to the pandemic. And is it tough to get everyone on sort of the same page? Well, it's a big industry, right? Lots yep. of opinions. Um, <laughs> but uh, one of the things I have loved about this industry is that sense of collaboration. I've, I've worked in other industries where it's pretty cutthroat and there isn't a whole lot of sharing that goes on. But even, even before COVID, uh, quite honestly, I was amazed at how 
collaborative this industry was, um, willing to get together to, to share insights and, like I said, best practices. So I, th- I think the, this industry, uh, more than many others, is, is really collaborative and engaging with each other. So, James, you mentioned COVID. COVID, obviously, still with us, but I feel like the worst, hopefully the worst is behind us. Can you take me through some of the challenges that the senior living industry faced during COVID? Because I felt like it rocked our world. It did. It did. I mean, and, and really, unlike any other industry outside of, you know, skilled nursing, certainly, but anybody caring for seniors, I think, was was dramatically uh, impacted and, and senior living, certainly. It was an incredibly tough couple of years. I, I'm cautiously optimistic that we're coming out of it. I think the industry did a phenomenal job adjusting to sort of that new reality and dealing with what in many cases was changing guidance on a daily basis. I mean, oftentimes I heard from our members, you know, they would have a staff meeting in a a community in the morning, sharing some guidance. And then later in the afternoon, they were reversing that guidance or changing it because of, of different regulations that were coming out from different agencies at the federal and state level. One of the things we're, we're going through now is a, a COVID retrospective where we're taking a look back and, and sort of trying to understand what worked and what didn't. And I think there's some emerging themes coming out of that. Certainly the response from the federal and state governments, I think, could have been better. Um, our ability to communicate with them on a regular basis around what was going on uh, in our communities, sort of boots on the ground, providing that kind of perspective was incredibly limited. Moving forward, government needs to do a better job of opening up channels of communication to various industries that are impacted by various disasters, whether it's a pandemic or some other you know, natural disaster. But that was a, a, certainly a challenge. I think the industry rose to the challenge, though. Uh, all of the associations and all of our collective members were working to educate lawmakers, um, but they just fundamentally didn't understand what assisted living was. They just it was sort of two ends of a spectrum. They either thought we were skilled nursing facilities and, okay, we already took care of you over here, or they thought we were simply golf course retirement communities and we're neither of those, right? right. And so uh, that's a big lesson for us coming out of the pandemic is as an industry, we've just got to continue to educate lawmakers about who we are, what we do, and, and who we serve. I think another sort of challenge that the industry faced certainly was um, workforce, Right. Yeah. Um, and, and lots of industries faced it, but we faced it at, at probably the worst uh, possible time when we actually needed people to care for the seniors in our buildings. And that's a crisis or a challenge that continues. I think it's starting to, to get a little bit better, but I think that it was exacerbated by the by the pandemic. Um, but it's always been a challenge for us workforce, uh, and I think it'll continue to be. But again, I thought the industry was incredibly resilient and just did a phenomenal job um, caring for our seniors. There, there was a study out of um, uh, University of Chicago that really took a look at the ability for us to keep our residents safe. And I think uh, something like two thirds of our communities had no fatalities related to COVID. That's completely different from what you know you saw on the news on a daily basis, right? And so uh, a lot of unsung heroes in our industry, I think. James, can you take me back to 2020? What was your mindset like? Were you freaking out? Were you hopeful? Were you just taking it day by day? 
Uh, we, we were taking it day by day. I mean, we went into 2020, you know, uh, optimistic about the year. Um, but by the time we got to March, you know, and, and had started monitoring it even before then. But I think in the earliest days, everybody was taking it day by day. But the industry sort of quickly rallied. Uh, and you started to see formal and informal networks and sharing of information being established. So within our organization, we have roundtables that allows our providers to come together and, and sort of share insights. And, you know, typically they would meet twice a year before COVID. Well, they were meeting, you know, every other week, uh, if not more, uh, throughout the crisis just to share, you know, what they were seeing in different markets in terms of uh, the impact of COVID and, and sharing uh, PPE where needed and, and, and that type of thing. So ultimately, we, you know, the industry uh, certainly got into a groove and that collaboration, I think, helped, helped us all get through it. And you talked about policy change. So when you are meeting with politicians, trying to educate them on what's going on in the world of senior living, do you have any good examples of how you open somebody's eyes? Yeah, well, so I mean, a big win for us, and, and it was all of the collective associations working together with our members, was getting the ability for uh, senior living providers to qualify for the Provider Relief Fund, which was a, a fund that was established under HHS to help um, providers that were, were dealing with uh, financial challenges associated with, with the crisis. But initially, the administration didn't plan to include us. They weren't considering us to be uh, qualified. And so that was just a big effort to educate them on what we do and who we care for. And, and ultimately, we qualified for the fund. Now, certainly, we didn't get the, the level of support that I think the industry needed. We, we estimate that the industry had about $30 billion in losses or, or continues to accumulate those losses. And so we're far cry from, from getting the relief that we ultimately needed, but every little bit helped. And so I think that was a big win. I was on one call um, with somebody in the administration where they literally said our communities were where people go when they don't want to cut their grass. And so that was, for, for us, that was a bit of a, a rallying cry to, wow. to sort of change that perception. And we ultimately did. We, uh, we changed their perception and, and they were part of the, the decision process to include us in the provider relief. Yeah. Fund. How but does that conversation go? You say, no, like we're much more than that. Are you, are you kidding me? Well, yeah. I mean, you just have to educate them on our residents. Um, I mean, I think that's really what they didn't understand is, is the frailty of the people that live in our buildings and, and they choose to live in our buildings, right? We're not reimbursed through Medicare, uh, very little through Medicaid. Um, it's because people actually choose to, to live in our communities, but they're making that choice one, because it's a lifestyle that they like, but two, because they need the level of care that we can provide. And it was that second part that I think policymakers just didn't understand. And we made progress, but it's, you know, administration turns over, elected officials turn over. It's, it's, it can't be uh, a one and done type of situation. I think and it opened the industry's eyes that we need to collectively be much more effective advocating for what we need and who we are. That's why I respect your hustle, James. Because like <laughs> you said, it's not like you meet with someone and you flip them. You're like, oh, okay, I totally understand now. Like you constantly have to do it. Yeah, that messaging has to, to constantly be there. Yeah, absolutely. So you talked about the industry pivoting during COVID. So all industries had to pivot on the fly, people working from home. So with all of that going on, what changed in the industry during 2020 that we now use now that maybe we wouldn't have done before? Do you have any examples of that? Well, I think we're, I mean, we're still in a bit of the, the COVID environment, right? Like I said, I'm cautiously optimistic um, that we're coming out of it. It looks as though we're moving into more of an endemic type of model where it's uh, similar to perhaps uh, annual flu season with, you know, right. annual 
vaccinations. But unfortunately, for those that live and work in our communities, in many cases, they're still under COVID restrictions. From a workforce perspective, you know, that makes it incredibly difficult. You have people wearing masks all day uh, in the four walls of our communities, and then they step outside of those four walls and the rest of the world has moved on. It's difficult to have those conversations with our residents. So we're still, uh, as an industry, sort of in that uh, zone of, of trying to protect and keep our residents safe. I hope we, we can move out uh, of that in the near future, certainly. I think, you know, one of the things that, um, and I think it'll take a little while for us to fully realize the impact, um, but that we're going to see uh, more of as a result of COVID is partnerships with healthcare. Okay. Um, I think it has accelerated that conversation within the industry as I've been talking to, to operators. Um, historically, you know, very generally speaking, started as a social model, moved into sort of higher levels of care, uh, higher levels of acuity. And now a lot, a lot of the providers I'm talking to are, are trying to figure out how do I partner with healthcare, either bring telehealth into the building um, so that my residents can get, you know, the, the care they need that way. Or can I partner with a healthcare system to bring higher levels of care into the building when my residents need it so they don't have to go through that traumatic transition uh, of leaving the building and moving to a rehab uh, center or a hospital or a skilled nursing facility? So I think uh, that's going to be a long-term trend that we're going to see come out of this. People were talking about it before COVID, but I think COVID has accelerated it. And then what challenges are still ahead and how can we take those on proactively? Well, I mean, I think at some point we're going to have to have a, a conversation with lawmakers um, about ongoing COVID restrictions, because, again, these are people's homes. Um, uh, OSHA uh, right now is, is working through a rule. Uh, it was an emergency temporary uh, standard initially. And we've been arguing that assisted living is people's homes. Right. And so there are certain requirements in there that you would expect to see in a hospital. Um, use of plexiglass and, and, and ventilators and such. But that's just not what our communities are. Our communities are people's homes. And so I think there is going to be an element of that that we're going to have to, to deal with. I also think there's going to be, at some point, a little bit of pushback from a, a regulatory perspective. Now, when we went into COVID, I think the, the general fear was that as a result of it, there was going to be a, a, a strong push for the federal government to regulate assisted living. As you know, we're regulated at the state level, mm -hmm. primarily. Um, we didn't see that uh, directly uh, happen. And I think that was uh, in large part uh, just based on a lot of the work that the industry was doing to educate lawmakers on, on the fact that we were regulated at the state level. But I think over time, we could see some incremental attempts to regulate various areas. I mentioned OSHA. Uh, that's that's an area that uh, we're taking a look at. We're seeing uh, CMS starting to do more with home and community-based services and, and the way in which they are encouraging states to regulate uh, those programs. Um, and that could have a trickle-down effect on our providers at the state level. Uh, and I know at the state level, we're going to see uh, probably more legislation around infection prevention and control. So I do think while we didn't see the overnight cascade of regulation that we expected, I expect that we will see that continue for some time. Now, speaking outside of COVID, just this is me walking into a senior living community visiting my grandma, but I'm just curious about new trends in senior living, especially going into 2023. You know, you're seeing certainly more use of technology, right? You know, the, the concept of telehealth is, has impacted that certainly, but you know, you've got wearable devices, fall prevention technology. So I think we're seeing more of that. And I think that'll continue. 
I think the industry is going to have to get more creative uh, in terms of how we recruit talent in our space. Workforce has always been a challenge and, you know, just the demographics of it, it's always going to be a challenge for us, quite frankly. Um, we're going to have to care for more people, but there's going to be less people to do that. And so I think the industry is certainly going to have to, to get more creative in how we partner at the local level, partner with community colleges, partner with high schools, partner with vocational programs to ultimately attract talent into our space. And I, and I think we'll start seeing more of that uh, as we move forward. Um, and then, you know, of course, there's always the, the changing acuity of our residents. That's that's going to evolve over time. We're going through a strategic planning process. And, and in one of the sessions, somebody indicated that, that 10 years ago, the average age of their resident was 75. Now it's 85. And so they posed the question, 10 years from now, is it going to be 95? Wow. And I don't know if it will be, but I mean, just just think about that conceptually. That's an entirely different resident than than you might be serving today. And so I think the industry is going to have to adjust to, to serve some of those higher acuity residents, certainly. Um, but there's also this vast middle market of folks that need some level of care, but necessarily can't necessarily afford today's product. And so I think we're going to see different types of product created over time as well. Do you have any good ideas behind recruiting? Like when you're in meetings and you're kicking around things? Well, I, you know... I, Immigration reform for us as an advocacy organization, immigration reform is always sort of the go-to response. And, and I think it's critically needed, you know, some sensible bipartisan immigration reform, certainly for the long-term care sector, uh, more broadly for healthcare. But quite frankly, all sectors are struggling with, with talent at this point. But absent that, and I don't necessarily see that happening anytime soon in our highly polarized uh, political world, absent that, I, I think it is this concept of, of going very local. And it's got to be around partnerships at the local level. You've got to be partnering with organizations in the community in which your community is to attract that talent. I think that's going to be critically important, boots on the ground to attract talent. Um, uh, that's where we see a lot of the success. I think, though, we, we talk a lot as an industry about recruiting talent. I think we need to talk more about retaining talent. So we, we estimate that over the next 10 years, we're going to need uh, a million new people working in this industry. But when you break that number up, about 250 some thousand of that is new positions. The rest of it, 700,000 plus, is a result of turnover, people leaving the industry. And so if we can just do a better job of retaining talent, then the pipeline doesn't need to be that big. And, and one of the exciting things we've done, we, we received a grant from the Department of Labor to pilot apprenticeship programs, which are essentially career pathways. Mm -hmm. People can get training. They get uh, certificates, they advance uh, up the pathway, they get higher wages as a result of reaching certain milestones. And we found that when people go through that program, we have an 80% retention rate. Wow. That's essentially completely inverting right. uh, the, the, the retention rate today. And so it, it, I think that apprenticeship model is, is, is an opportunity for the industry to address that retention issue which then again, as I said, means the pipeline doesn't have to be as large. So I'm pretty excited about that as an opportunity for the industry moving forward. Yeah, if you could figure out retention, my goodness. Yeah, you've, I mean, you've essentially solved the problem. <laughs> so we're working on it. Right. Uh, less serious question. Uh, recreationally speaking, any new trends in senior living? Oh, uh, Wait, which, what's the hot new sport? Is it is pickleball going to be the I was new thing? Say pickleball. You beat me to it. Um, <laughs> No, I don't. I don't. I, honestly, I don't know if it's uh, pickleball. Uh, I, I do know increasingly as I've been talking to providers, and it's always been sort of one of the great things of our industry is the activity that we provide, right? 
And, and so, you know, one of the things that worries me when people talk about our aging population and lawmakers are thinking through, you know, how we're going to solve this crisis, this long-term care crisis, their answer is to let people age in their current private residence. And that's fine. And, and people say that's what they want to do. Um, but it is, you know, that's not necessarily the right place for people to age. Now, up to a point, as long as you can, that's fine. But I'd go back to my grandmother who, you know, she sat on in her lounge or watched TV all day and ate popcorn for dinner, right? No socialization, not a lot of nutrition, but that's what we provide. We provide that activity. We provide that, that physical activity, that socialization. We provide that nutrition. And so I think policymakers need to be thinking about what's the right place for people to age. And up to a point, if it's in your private residence, great. But at some point, there's a rationale for moving into our communities. And again, people love it. When they move into our communities, we have a 95 plus satisfaction rate among our residents. They, they love it when they come into our communities. And, I, and so I, I just, I think, you know, focusing on that socialization, that physical activity is a, a critical piece of what we do. And we need to talk more about that. You doing anything special for National Assisted Living Week? Well, I'm actually going to be at the uh, Nick conference in Washington, D.C. All right. All right. Um, yeah. You're, wor- you're working. You're working yes, for National yes. Assisted Living Week. Yes. And then uh, last question, James. Can you give us a little taste of what's going to go on during Argentum's Senior Living Leadership Summit in November? So, yeah, and, and we're excited to see you all there. And, and I think it's going to be a great event. We're actually, as I mentioned before, we're going through a strategic planning process. So a lot of what we're going to be talking about at that event is um, what we've been finding as we go through that process. What are the trends for the next 10 years? And how can we as an industry come together to address some of those opportunities and challenges? So we're going to be talking about some of the policy challenges we're going to be facing. We're certainly going to be talking about workforce challenges, but also opportunities. We're going to be talking about access and affordability. Um, So how do we grow essentially our market? How do we make sure that more seniors can avail themselves of the great product that we offer? And that's that whole middle market concept. So there's going to be a lot of discussion around that. We're going to spend a lot of time talking about diversity, equity, uh, and inclusion and belonging. That's a challenge that our industry has had, uh, particularly within our, our leadership ranks. And so I think, you know, we need to, as an industry, get serious about how do we ultimately address that. Um, so we're, we're looking forward to the next 10 years. I think the industry has got, you know, great outlook, great group of people to take us through the next two years. And, and this event's really going to talk about how we're going to get there. Yeah, James, when I think of doing what you do, my head just spins. And I, I always ask this question on the podcast. What do you do to decompress? Oh, uh, that's a good question. Um, well, for me, it's uh, it's my family. And I leave work at home or, well, leave work at home because now I work from home. <laughs> but I leave it in this office. Um, but uh, I try to separate it. And, and when and I you, get home. You can do that? I can. It's harder now, though, in this virtual environment. I will, I will admit it was easier when I was in the office, you know, five days a week. And I would leave the office and, and then come home. And, and now I just I step out and, and my home's right there. But I think that's critically important, that work-life balance. And we, and we try to do that with our entire team. All right. Last question. You're going yeah. on a, a long car ride. What music are you listening to? Actually, it's funny you should mention that. So I'm, I'm a big Dave Matthews fan. Okay. Um, but last night, my son, uh, Jay Cole, I think it is. Yeah. He, he just got an album and, and I was like, what are you doing? And he's like, well, I'm listening to it. And I've got like 14 more minutes. Like he was fanatical about it. He had to finish the album. <laughs> so he came down. I was like, All right, well, let's hear it. It was, I was impressed. So that might be my new one. <laughs> well, James, I appreciate the time. And uh, our Fox crew will see you in November in Las Vegas. 
looking forward to it. Thank you so much. Yep. So for James Balda, my name is James Shear, and we will see Yins later.